Chapter 4 at Flourish and Blots Life at the borough was as different as possible from life at Privet Drive. The Dursleys liked everything neat and ordered. The Weasley's house burst was strange and unexpected. Harry got a shock for the first time. He looked in the mirror over the kitchen mantelpiece and it shouted, Tuck your shirt in, Scruffy! The ghoul in the attic howled and dropped pipes whenever he felt things were getting too quiet and small explosions from Fred and George's bedroom were considered perfectly normal. What Harry found most unusual about life at Ron's, however, wasn't the talking mirror or the clanking ghoul. It was the fact that everybody there seemed to like him. Mrs. Weasley fussed over the state of his socks and tried to force him to eat fourth helpings at every meal, and Mr. Weasley, like Harry, to sit next to him at the dinner table so that he could bombard him with questions about life with muggles, asking him to explain how things like plugs and postal service work. Fascinating, he would say as Harry talked him through using a telephone. Ingenious, really, how many ways muggles have found of getting along without magic. Harry heard from Hogwarts one Sunday morning about a week after he arrived at the borough. He and Ron went down to breakfast to find Mr. and Mrs. Weasley and Ginny already sitting at the kitchen table. The moment she saw Harry, Ginny accidentally knocked her porridge bowl to the floor with a loud clatter. Ginny seemed very prone to knocking things over whenever Harry entered a room. She dived under the table to retrieve the bowl and emerged with her face glowing like a setting sun. Pretending he hadn't noticed this, Harry sat down and took the toast Mrs. Weasley offered him. Letters from school, said Mr. Weasley, passing Harry and Ron identical envelopes of yellowish parchment addressed in green ink. Dumbledore already knows you're here, Harry. Doesn't miss a trick, that man. You two got them, too, he added as Fred and George ambled in, still in their pajamas. For a few moments, there was silence as they all read their letters. Harry told told him to catch Hogwarts Express as usual at King's Cross Station on September 1st. There was also a list of new books he needed for the coming year. Second year students will require the standard books of spells, grade two by Miranda Goshock, Break with a Banshee by Gilroy Lockhart, Gadding with Ghouls by Gilroy Lockhart, Holidays with Hags by Gilroy Lockhart, Travels with Trolls by Gilroy Lockhart, Voyages with Vampires by Gilroy Lockhart, Wandering with Werewolves by Gilroy Lockhart, Year with the Yeti by Gilroy Lockhart. Fred, who has finished his own list, peered over at Harry's. You've been told to get all Lockhart books too, he said. The new defense against the dark arts teacher must be a fan. Bet it's a witch. At this point, Fred caught his mother's eye and quickly busied himself with marmalade. That slot won't come cheap, said George with a quick look at his parents. Blockhart's books are really expensive. Well, we'll manage, said Mrs. Weasley, but she looked worried. I expect we'll be able to pick up a lot of Ginny's things secondhand. Oh, are you starting at Hogwarts this year? Harry asked Ginny. She nodded, blushing to the roots of her flaming hair and put her elbow in a butter dish. Fortunately, no one saw this except... Harry, because just then, Ron Elder's brother, Percy, walked in. He was already dressed, his Hogwarts prefect badge pinned to his sweater vest. Morning, all, said Percy briskly. Lovely day. 
He sat down in the only remaining chair, but leapt up again almost immediately, pulling from underneath him a molten gray feather duster. At least that was what Harry thought it was, until he saw that it was breathing. Errol, said Ron, taking the limp owl from Percy and extracting a letter from under its wings. Finally, he got Hermione's answer. I wrote to her saying we were going to try and rescue you from the Dursleys. He carried Errol to a perch just inside the back door and tried to stand him up on it, but Errol flopped straight off again, so Ron laid him on the draining board, instead muttering, Pathetic. Then he ripped open Hermione's letter and read it out loud. Dear Ron and Harry, if you're there, I hope everything went all right and that Harry is okay and that you didn't do anything illegal to get him out, Ron, because that would get Harry into trouble too. I've been really worried, and if Harry's all right, will you please let me know at once? But perhaps it would be better if you use a different owl, because I think another delivery might finish your one off. I'm very busy with schoolwork, of course. How can she be? said Ron in horror. We're on vacation, and we're going to London next Wednesday to buy my new books. Why don't we meet in Diagon Alley? Let me know what happens as soon as you can. Love from Hermione. Well, that fits in nicely. We can go and get all your things in, too, said Mrs. Weasley, staring to a clear table. What are you all up to today? Harry, Ron, Fred, and George were planning to go up the hill to a small paddock the Weasleys owned. It was surrounded by trees that blocked it from the view of the village below, meaning that they could practice Quidditch there, as long as they didn't fly too high. They couldn't use real Quidditch balls, which would have been hard to explain if they had escaped and flown away over the village. Instead, they threw apples for one another to catch. They took turns riding Harry's Nimbus 2000, which easily the best broom. Ron's old shooting star was often outstripped by passing butterflies. Five minutes later, they were marching up the hill, broomsticks over their shoulders. They had asked Percy if he wanted to join them, but he said he was very busy. Harry had only seen Percy at mealtime so far. He stayed shut in his room the rest of the time. Wish I knew what he was up to, said Fred, frowning. He's not himself. His exam results came the day before you did. Twelve owls, and he hardly gloated. Ordinary wizarding levels, George explained, seeing Harry's puzzled look. Bill got twelve, too. If we're not careful, we'll have another head boy in the family, and I don't think I could stand the shame. Bill was the oldest Weasley brother. He and the next brother, Charlie, had already left Hogwarts. Harry had never met either of them, but knew Charlie was in Romania studying dragons and Bill in Egypt working for the wizard bank Gringotts. Don't know how mom and dad are going to afford all our school stuff this year, said George for a while. Five sets of Lockhart books and Ginny Knees Rhodes and a wand and everything? Harry said nothing. He felt a bit awkward. Stored in an underground vault at Gringotts in Longden was a small fortune that his parents had left him. Of course, it was only in the wizarding world that he had money. You couldn't use galleons, sickles, and nuts in muggle shopping. He never mentioned this Gringotts back account to the Dursleys. He didn't think their horror of anything connected to magic would stretch to a large pile of gold. Mrs. Weasley woke them up all early the following Wednesday. After a quick half a dozen bacon sandwiches each, they pulled on their coats and Mrs. Weasley took a flower pot off the kitchen mantle and peered inside. We're running low, Arthur, she sighed. We'll have to buy some more today. 
Ah, well, guess first, after you, Harry, dear. And she offered him the flower pot. Harry stared at them, all watching him. What am I supposed to do? He stammered. He's never traveled by flu powder, said Rudd suddenly. Sorry, Harry, I forgot. Never, said Mrs. Weasley. But how did you get to Diagon Alley to buy your school things last year? I went on the underground. Really? said Mr. Weasley eagerly. Were there escapers? How exactly? Not now, Arthur, said Mrs. Weasley. Flu powder's a lot quicker, dear. But goodness, if you've never used it before. He'll be all right, Mom, said Fred. Harry, watch us first. He took a pinch of the glittering powder out of the flower pot, stepped up to the fire, and threw the powder into the flames. And with a roar, the fire turned emerald green and rose higher than Fred, who stepped right into it and shouted, Diagon Alley, and vanished. You must speak clearly, dear, Mrs. Weasley told Harry as George dipped his hand into the flower pot, and be sure to get out of the right gate. The right what? said Harry nervously as the fire roared and ripped George out of sight too. Well, there's an awful lot of wizard fires to choose from, you know, but as long as you've spoken clearly, he'll be fine, Molly, don't fuss, said Mr. Weasley, helping himself to flu powder too. But dear, if he got lost, how would we ever explain to his aunt and uncle? They wouldn't mind, Harry reassured her. Dudley would think it was a brilliant joke if I got lost up a chimney. Don't worry about that. Well, all right. You go after Arthur, said Mrs. Weasley. Now, when you get in the fire, say where you're going. And keep your elbows tucked in, Ron advised, and your eyes shut, said Mrs. Weasley. The soot, don't fidget, said Ron, or you might, well fall out of the wrong fireplace. But don't panic and get out too early. Wait until you see Fred and George. Trying hard to bear all this in mind, Harry took a pinch of flu powder and walked to the edge of the fire. He took a deep breath and scattered the powder into the flames and stepped forward. The fire felt like a warm breeze. He opened in his mouth and immediately swallowed a lot of hot ash. Diagon Alley, he coughed. It felt as though he was being sucked down a giant drain. He seemed to be spinning very fast and roaring in his ears was deafening. He tried to keep his eyes open, but the whirl of green flames made him feel sick. Something hard t- knocked his elbow and he tucked in tightly, still spinning and spinning. Now it felt as though cold hands were slapping his face. Squinting through his glasses, he saw a blurred stream of fireplaces and snatched glimpses of rooms beyond. His bacon sandwiches were churning inside him. He closed his eyes again and wished it would stop and then... He fell face forward onto a cold stone and felt the bridges of his glasses snap. Dizzy and bruised, covered in soot, he got gingerly to his feet, holding his broken glasses up to his eyes. He was quite alone, but where he was, he had no idea. All he could tell was that he was standing in the stone fireplace of what looked like a large, dimly lit wizard shop, but nothing in here was ever likely to be on Hogwarts school list. A glass case nearby held a withered hand on a cushion, a blood-stained pack of cards, and a staring glass eye. Evil-looking masks stared down from the walls, an assortment of human bones lay upon the counter, and rusty spiked instruments hung from the ceiling. Even worse, the dark, narrow street Harry could see through the dusty shop was definitely not Diagon Alley. The sooner he got out of here, the better. Nose still singing from where he had hit the hearth, Harry made his way swiftly and silently towards the door. 
but before he got halfway towards it, two people appeared on the other side of the glass, and one of them was the very last person Harry wanted to meet when he was lost, covered in soot and wearing broken glasses. Draco Malfoy. Harry looked quickly around and spotted a large black cabinet to his left. He shot inside it and pulled the doors closed, leaving a small crack to peer through. Seconds later, the bell clanged and Malfoy stepped into the shop. The man who followed could only be Draco's father. He had the same pale, pointed face, identical cold gray eyes. Mr. Malfoy crossed the shop, looking lazily at the items on display, and rang a bell on the counter before turning to his son and saying, Touch nothing, Draco. Malfoy, who reached for the glass eye, said, I thought you were going to buy me a present. I said I would buy you a racing broom, said his father, drumming his fingers on the counter. What's the good of that if I'm not on the house team, said Malfoy, looking sulkily in bad temper. Harry Potter got a Nimbus 2000s last year, special permission from Dumbledore so he could play for Gryffindor. He's not even that good. It's just because he's famous, famous for having a stupid scar on his forehead. Malfoy bent down to examine a shelf full of skulls. Everyone thinks he's so smart. Wonderful Potter with this scar and his broomstick. You'd have told me this at least a dozen times already, said Mr. Malfoy with a quelling look at his son. And I would remind you that it is not prudent to appear less than fond of Harry Potter. Not when most of our kind regard him as a hero who made the Dark Lord disappear. Ah, Mr. Borgin. A stooping man had appeared behind the counter, soothing his greasy hair from his face. Mr. Malfoy, what a pleasure to see you again, said Mr. Borgin in a voice that's oily as his hair. Delighted, and young Master Malfoy, too, charmed. How may I be of assistance? I must show you just in today a very reasonable price. I'm not buying today, Mr. Borgin, but selling, said Mr. Malfoy. Selling? The smile faded slightly from Mr. Borgin's face. You have heard, of course, that the ministry is conducting more raids, said Mr. Malfoy, taking a roll of parchment from inside his pocket and unraveling it for Mr. Borgin to read. I have a few uh, items at home that might embarrass me if the ministry were to call. Mr. Borgin fixed a pair of pint knees to his nose and looked down at the list. The ministry wouldn't presume to trouble you, sir, surely. Mr. Malfoy's lips curled. I have not been visited yet. The name Malfoy still commands a certain respect, yet the ministry grows ever so hmm, meddlesome. There are rumors about a new Muggle Protection Act. No doubt that flea-bitten Muggle-loving fool Arthur Weasley is behind it. Harry felt a surge of anger. And as you see, certain... Of these poisons make it appear. I understand, sir, said Mr. Borgin. Let me see. Can I have that? interrupted Draco at the withered hand on the cushion. Ah, the hand of glory, said Mr. Borgin, abandoning Mr. Malfoy's list and scurrying over to Draco. Insert a candle and give it a light onto the holder. Best friend of thieves and plunderers, your son has fine taste, sir. I hope my son will amount to more than a thief or a plunderer, Borgen, said Mr. Malfoy coldly, and Mr. Borgen said quickly, No offense, sir, no, no offense meant. And though if his grades don't pick up, said Mr. Malfoy more coldly still, that may indeed be all he is fit for. 
It's not my fault, retorted Draco. The teachers all have favorites, that Hermione Granger. I would have thought you'd be ashamed that a girl of no wizard family beat you in every exam, snapped Mr. Malfoy. Huh, said Harry under his breath, pleased to see Draco looking both abashed and angry. It's the same all over, said Mr. Borgen in his oily voice. Wizard blood is counting for less everywhere. Not with me, said Mr. Malfoy, his long nostrils flaring. No, sir, no, no, with me, nor with me, sir, said Mr. Borgen with a deep bow. In that case, perhaps we can return to my list, said Mr. Malfoy shortly. I'm in something of a hurry, Borgen. I have important business elsewhere today. They started to haggle. Harry watched nervously as Draco drew near and nearer to his hiding place, examining the objects for sale. Draco paused to examine a long coil of hangman's rope and red, smirking the card, propped on a magnificent necklace of opals. Caution, do not touch. Cursed, has claimed the lives of 19 muggles' owners to date. Draco turned away and saw the cabinet right in front of him. He walked forward. He stretched out his hand for the handle. Done, said Mr. Malfoy at the counter. Come on, Draco. Harry wiped his forehead on his sleeve as Draco turned away. Good day to you, Mr. Morgan. I will expect you at the manor tomorrow to pick up the goods. The moment the door had closed, Mr. Morgan dropped his oily manner. Good day yourself, Mr. Malfoy. And if the stories are true, you haven't told me half of what's hidden in your manor. Muttering darkly, Mr. Morgan disappeared into a back room. Harry waited for a minute in case he came back, and then quietly as he could, slipped out of the cabinet, past the glass case, and out of the shop door. Clutching his broken glasses to his face, Harry stared around. He had emerged into a dingy alleyway that seemed to be made up entirely of shops devoted to the dark arts. The one he just left, Borgen and Burks, looked like the largest, but opposite was a nasty window display of shrunken heads, and two doors down, a large cage was alive with gigantic black spiders. Two shabby-looking wizards were watching him from the shadow of the doorway, muttering to each other. Feeling jumpy, Harry set off, trying to hold his glasses on straight and hoping against hope he'd be able to find a way out of here. An old wooden street sign hanging over a shop selling poisonous candles told him he was in Nocturne Alley. This didn't help, as Harry had never heard of such a place. He supposed he hadn't spoken clearly enough through his mouthful of ashes back in the Weasley fire. Trying to stay calm, he wondered what to do. Not lost, are you, dear? said a voice within his ear, making him jump. An age witch stood in front of him, holding a tray of what looked like horribly like whole human fingernails. She leered at him, showing mossy teeth. Harry backed away. I'm I'm fine, thanks, he said. I'm just fine. Harry, what do you think you're doing down here? Harry's heart leapt. So did the witch. A load of fingernails cascaded down over her feet, and she cursed as the massive form of Hagrid, the Hogwarts gamekeeper, came striding towards them, beetle black eyes flashing over his great bristling beard. Hagrid, Harry croaked in relief. I was lost. Flu powder. Hagrid seized Harry by the scruff of the neck and pulled him away from the witch, knocking the tray right out of her hand. Her shrieks followed him all the way along the twistling alleyway out into the bright sunlight. Harry saw a familiar snow-white marble building in the distance, Gringotts Banks. Hagrid had steered him right into Diagon Alley. "'You're a mess,' said Hagrid gruffly, 
brushing soot off of Harry so forcefully he nearly knocked him into a barrel of dragon dung outside an apothecary. Skulking around Nocturne Alley. I don't know, dodgy place. Harry, don't want your seed down there. I realize that, said Harry, ducking as Hagrid made a brush him off again. I told you, I was lost. What were you doing down there anyway? I was looking for flesh-eaten slug repellent, growled Hagrid. They're running the school cabbages. You're not on your own. I was staying with the Weasleys, but we got separated, Harry explained. I gotta go find them. They set off together down the street. How come you never wrote back to me? said Hagrid as Harry jogged alongside him. He had to take three steps to every stride of Hagrid's enormous boots. Harry explained all about Dobby and the Dursleys. Lousy muggles, growled Hagrid. If I had known... Harry, Harry, over here! Harry looked up and saw Hermione Granger standing at the top of the white flight of white steps to Gringotts. She ran down to meet him, her bushy brown hair flying behind her. What happened to your glasses? Hello, Hagrid. Oh, it's wonderful to see you two again. Are you coming into Gringotts, Harry? As soon as I find the Weasleys, said Harry. You won't have to long to wait, Hagrid said with a grin. Harry and Hermione looked up. Sprinting up the crowded street were Ron, Fred, George, Percy, and Mr. Weasley. Harry, Mr. Weasley panted. We hoped you only gone one grate too far. He mopped his glistening bald patch. Molly's frantic. She's coming now. Where did you come out? Ron asked. Nocturne Alley, said Hagrid grimly. Excellent, said Fred and George together. We're never allowed in, said Ron enviously. I should really well think not, growled Hagrid. Mrs. Weasley came galloping into view, her handbag swinging widely in one hand. Ginny was clinging onto the other. Oh, Harry, oh, my dear, you could have been anywhere. Gasping for breath, she pulled a large clothes brush out of her bag and began sweeping off the soot Hagrid had managed to beat away. Mr. Weasley took Harry's glasses and gave them a tap of his wand and returned them to good as new. Well, cry be off, said Hagrid, who was having his hand wrung by Mrs. Weasley. Nocturne Alley, if you hadn't found him, Hagrid. So you're at Hogwarts? And he strode away, head and shoulders taller than anyone else in the pack street. Guess who I saw in Borgen and Burke's? Harry asked Ron and Hermione as they climbed the Gringotts steps. Malfoy and his father. Did Lucius Malfoy buy anything? Said Mr. Weasley sharply behind them. No, he was selling. So he's worried, said Mr. Weasley with grim satisfaction. Oh, I'd love to get Lucius Malfoy for something. Just be careful, Arthur, said Mrs. Weasley sharp as they bowed, bowed into the bank by a goblin at the door. That family's trouble. Don't go biting off more than you can chew. So, you don't think I'm matched for Lewis Malfoy, said Mr. Weasley indignantly, but he was distracted almost at once by the sight of Hermione's parents, who were standing nervously at the counter that ran all along the great marble hall, waiting for Hermione to introduce them. But you're a muckle, said Mr. Weasley delightedly. We must have a drink. What's that you got there? Oh, you're changing muggle money, money. Look, Molly, he pointed excitedly at the ten-pound notes in Mr. Granger's hand. Meet you back here, Ron said to Hermione as the Weasleys and Harry were led off to their underground vaults by another Gringotts goblin. The vaults were reached by means of small goblin-driven carts that sped along miniature train tracks, though the bank's underground tunnels. 
Harry enjoyed the breakneck journey down to the Weasley's vault, but felt dreadful for worse than he had in Nocturne Alley when it was open. There were very small piles of silver sickles inside and just one gold galleon. Mrs. Weasley fell right into the corners before sweeping the whole lot in her bag. Harry felt even worse when they reached his vault. He tried to block the contents from view as he hastily shoved a handful of coins into the leather bag. Back outside on the marble steps, they all separated. Percy muttered vaguely about needing a new quill. Fred and George had spotted their friends from Hogwarts, Lee Jordan. Mrs. Weasley and Ginny were going to a second-hand robe shop. Mr. Weasley was insisting on taking the Grangers off to a leaky cauldron for a drink. We'll all meet up at Flourish and Blotts in an hour to buy your school books, said Mrs. Weasley, setting off with Ginny. And not one step down Nocturne Alley, as she shouted at the twins retreating back. Harry, Ron, and Hermione strolled off along the winding cobbled streets. The bag of gold, silver, and bronze jingling cheerfully in Harry's pocket was clamoring to be spent. So he bought three large strawberry and peanut butter ice creams, which they slurped happily as they wandered up the alley, examining the fascinating shop windows. Ron gazed longly at a full set of Shunley Cannon robes in the window of quality Quidditch supplies until Hermione dragged them off to buy ink and parchment next door. In Gambles, the Japes Wizarding Joke Shop, they met Fred, George, and Lee Jordan, who were stocking up on Dr. Fillerbuster's fabulous wet start, No Heat Fireworks. In a tiny junk shop full of broken wands, lopsided brass scales, and old cloaks covered in potion stains, they found Percy deeply immersed in a small and deeply boring book called Prefects Who Gained Power. A study of Hogwarts prefects and their latest careers, Ron read aloud off the back cover. That sounds fascinating. Go away, Percy snapped. Of course he's very ambitious. Percy, he's got it all planned out. He wants to be Minister of Magic, Ron told Hermione and Harry in an undertone as they left Percy to it. An hour later, they headed for Flourish and Blotts. They were by no means the only ones making their way to the bookshop. As they approached it, they saw, to their surprise, a large crowd jostling outside the doors trying to get in. The reasons for this was proclaimed by a large banner stretched across the upper windows. Gilroy Lockhart will be signing copies of his autobiography, Magical Me, today, 12.30 p.m. to 4.30 p.m. We can actually meet him, Hermione squealed. I mean, he's written almost the whole book list. The crowd seemed to be made up of mostly of witches around Mrs. Weasley's age. A harassed-looking wizard stood at the door saying, Calmly, please, ladies, don't push there. Mind the books now. Harry and Ron Hermione squeezed inside. A long line wound right up to the back of the shop where Kilroy Lockhart was signing his books. They each grabbed a copy of the standard Book of Spells grades 2 and sneaked up the line to where the rest of the Weasleys were standing with Mr. and Mrs. Granger. Oh, there you are. Good, said Mrs. Weasley. She sounded breathless and kept patting her hair. We'll be able to see him in a minute. Kilroy Lockhart came slowly into view. Seated at a table surrounded by large pictures of his own face, all winking and flashing dazzling white teeth at the crowd. The real Lockhart was wearing robes of forget-me-not blue that exactly matched the eyes. His pointed wizard hat was set at a jaunty angle on his wavy hair. A short, irritable-looking man was dancing around taking photographs with a large black camera that emitted puffs of purple snow with every blinding flash.
out of the way there. He smiled at Ron, moving back to a great shot. This is for the Daily Prophet. Big deal, said Ron, rubbing his foot where the photographer had stepped on it. Gilroy Lockhart heard him. He looked up. He saw Ron. And then he saw Harry. He stared. Then he leapt to his feet and positively shouted, It can't be Harry Potter. The crowd parted, whispering excitedly. Lockhart dived forward, seized Harry's arm, and pulled him to the front. The crowd burst into applause, and Harry's face burned as Lockhart shook his hand for the photographer, who was clicking away madly, wafing thick smoke over the Weasleys. Nice big smile, Harry, said Lockhart through his own gleaming teeth. Together, you and I are worth the front page. When he finally let go of Harry's hand, Harry could hardly feel his fingers. He tried to settle back over the Weasleys, but Lockhart threw an arm around his shoulders and clamped him tightly to the side. Ladies and gentlemen, he said, loudly waving for quiet, what an extraordinary moment this is. The perfect moment for me to make a little announcement that I've been sitting on for some time. When young Harry here stepped into Flourish and Blots today, he only wanted to buy my autobiography, which I shall be happy to present him now, free of charge. The crowd applauded again. He had no idea, Lockhart continued, giving Harry a little shake made his glasses slip to the end of his nose, that he would shortly be getting much, much more than my book, Magical Me. He and his schoolmates will, in fact, be getting the real Magical Me. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, I have the great pleasure and pride in announcing that this September, I'll be taking up posts of Defense Against the Dark Arts, teacher at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. The crowd cheered and clapped, and Harry found himself being presented with the entire works of Gilroy Lockhart. Staggering slightly under their weight, he managed to make his way out of the limelight to the edge of the room where Ginny was standing next to her new cauldron. You have these, Harry mumbled to her, tipping the books into the cauldron, all by my own. Bet you loved that, didn't you, Potter, said a voice Harry had no trouble recognizing. He straightened up and found himself face to face with Draco Malfoy, who was wearing his usual sneer. Famous Harry Potter, said Malfoy. Can't even go into a bookshop without making the front page. Leave him alone. He didn't want all of that, said Ginny. It was the first time she had spoken in front of Harry, and she was glaring at Malfoy. Potter, you got your girlfriend? Drawled Malfoy. Ginny went scarlet as Ron and Hermione fought their way over, both clutching stacks of Lockhart's books. Ugh, it's you, said Ron, looking at Malfoy, as if he were something unpleasant on the sole of his shoe. Bet you're surprised to see Harry here. Not as surprised as I am to see you in a shop, Weasley, retorted Malfoy. I suppose your parents will go hungry for a month to pay for all of these. Ron went as red as Ginny. He dropped his books into the cauldron, too, and started towards Malfoy. But Harry and Hermione grabbed the back of his jacket. Ron said Mr. Weasley, struggling over with Fred and George. What are you doing? It's too crowded in here. Let's go outside. Well, 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 Arthur Weasley. It was Mr. Malfoy who stood with his hand on Draco's shoulder, sneering in just the same way. Lucius, said Mr. Weasley, nodding coldly. Busy time at the ministry, I hear, said Mr. Malfoy. All those raids. I hope they're paying you overtime. He reached into Ginny's cauldron and extracted from amid the glossy Lockhart book, a very old, very battered copy of a 
beginner's guide to transfiguration. Obviously not, Mr. Malfoy said. Dear me, what's the use of being a disgrace to the name of wizard if they don't even pay you well for it? Mr. Weasley flushed darker than either Ron or Ginny. We have a very different idea of what disgraces the name of wizard, Malfoy, he said. Clearly, said Mr. Malfoy, his pale eyes straying to Mr. and Mrs. Granger, who were watching apprehensively. The company you keep, Weasley, and I thought your family couldn't sink no lower. There was a thud of metal as Ginny's cauldron went flying, and Mr. Weasley had thrown himself at Mr. Malfoy, knocking him backwards into the bookshelf. Dozen of heavy spellbooks came thundering down on their heads, and there was a yell of, Get him, Dad! from Fred or George, and Mrs. Weasley was shrieking, No, Arthur, no! The crowd stampede backwards, knocking more shells over. Gentlemen, please, please, cried the assistant, and then louder than all, Break it up, there, gents, break it up! Hagrid was wading towards them through the sea of books, and in an instant he had pulled Mr. Weasley and Mr. Malfoy apart. Mr. Weasley had a cut lip, and Mr. Malfoy had been hit in the eye by an encyclopedia of toadstools. He was still holding Ginny's old transfiguration book. He thrust it at her, his eyes glittering with malice. Here, girl, take your book. It's the best your father can give you. Pulling himself out of Hagrid's grip, he beckoned to Draco and swept from the shop. You should have ignored him, Arthur, said Hagrid, almost lifting Mr. Weasley off his feet as he straightened his robes. Rotten to the core, the whole family, everyone knows it. No Malfoy's worth listening to. Bad blood, that's what it is. Come on now, let's get out of here. The assistant looked as though he wanted to stop them leaving, but he barely came up to Hagrid's waist and seemed to think better of it. They hurried up the street, the Granger shaking with fright and Mrs. Weasley beside herself with fury. Fine example to set for your children, brawling in public. What Gilroy Lockhart must have thought. He was pleased, said Fred. Didn't you hear him as he, we were leaving? He was asking the bloke from the Daily Prophet if he'd be able to work the fight into his report, so there was all publicity. But it was a subdued group that headed back to the fireside in the leaky cauldron where Harry, the Weasleys, and all their shopping would be traveling back to the borough using flu powder. They said goodbye to the Grangers, who were leaving the pub for the Muggle Street on either side. Mr. Weasley started to ask how bus stops work, but stopped quickly at the look on Mrs. Weasley's face. Harry took off his glasses and put them safely in his pocket before helping himself to flu powder. It definitely wasn't his favorite way to travel.